Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, This is a special day. It's another episode of Inside Curling. And, uh, oh, my God, you guys, i got to get my teeth. I'm not kidding. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) You can't take that out. That's got to (laughs) stay. Uh, Hi, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome. Coming at you with another episode of Inside Curling. We do it each and every week. And I got my teeth. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot my teeth. <laughs> yeah, anyway, how are you doing, fellas? How's it going, Warren? You got all your teeth, Kev? You got all yours? Uh, have you got your eyes in? <laughs> yeah, I got my eyes in, yeah. <laughs> the new camera stand I built, by the way, as Kevin uh, guessed it, I did it at midnight. I chopped off a piece of my neighbor's fence post to build my little stand. So uh, anyway, uh, welcome, fellas, and all the listeners from around the world uh, to Inside Curling. We do it each and every week with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Warren Hansen and Kevin Martin. And uh, we couldn't do it without our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of the mailbag. And Coyote Tractor brings you Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline brings you In the House, which is a guest. And we have one. Uh, Here's what's on the show. What's happening around the curling world? A few events taking place over the past weekend. Uh, We're going to take a look at both those. The Pan Continental Championship in Calgary. And the New Floors Penticton Curling Classic. And the Swiss Cup in Basel. Am I pronouncing that right, uh, Warren? You're, You're a world traveler. I think that's close. Close enough, okay. You don't care. Just Good enough, Jimmy. A new nation joined the WCF this week, uh, and it will be the 70th country to become a WCF member. Cool. Hot Rock Topics. Curling Canada announced this week how many teams are going to be in the Scotties and the Briar and who they are going to be. I would say it sounds like a lot of them as a little teaser, uh, but we're going to talk to Kevin and Warren about that. Mailbag. We got some great emails this week, as we do each and every week. We're going to take a look at one that someone asked a very interesting question about the type and the amount of information that is being provided to the fans inside the curling venue. Good stuff there. Yeah, I read about that last night. And in the house, we've got a guest. We've had many times before, and she just finished playing in the Pan Continental Championship where she won the bronze medal. And we will talk to, I don't know, maybe the best. How about that? Carrie Anderson is going to join us. Okay, boys, what's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. you got to be 19 years old to play in Ontario and play responsibly. So, as mentioned, a couple of events this past week. The largest was the first Pan-Continental Cup held in Calgary. Canada's Brad Gushu won the men's side, and Kerry Anderson won the bronze medal. Kevin, you know how to pronounce these Japanese names. Is it Sutsuki? Fujisawa won the gold. Interesting to see two teams from Asia, Korea, and Japan playing in the gold medal game. The main purpose of this event was to qualify five men's and women's nations for the respective world championships in the spring of 2023. On the women's side, the nations advancing are Canada, U.S., Japan, Korea, and New Zealand. 
And coincidentally, the same five nations were at the top of the men's division. Kevin, tell us all about it. You were there this week. I think the first thing is I'm getting a lot of messages and so on because a lot of the games weren't very close. But I think this is kind of a a building blocks um, type of an event where certain countries that maybe aren't, you know, curling nations as such, but they're improving all the time, putting a lot of resources into it, working hard, practicing hard. And that's, in my opinion, what it's sort of about right now. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's fantastic, the A side and the B side and having nations come up through just getting started, you know, through the B, get to the top of the B, come into the A and improve like Italy has done lately. So that's what I see. And I do get a lot of messages and I appreciate the messages, but I really think it's a very positive event going forward. In the men's side, no question, Brad Gushu was, was the star of the field. There's no, no, no doubt about that. He ended up playing Korea in the final, Zhang Bianjin in the final, 11-3. Brad didn't get really pressured much. He did lose one game to Corey Dropkin of the U.S., but for the most part, they controlled the event very well. The bronze game, so you're talking about Korea being in and Japan. Well, U.S. actually beat Japan in the bronze game, uh, and that's Corey Dropkin over Riku Yanagisawa out of Japan. And that was quite the game. They ended up having uh, Japan got a four-ender in the fifth. U.S. responded with four in the sixth. So kind of a crazy back-and-forth game. The women's side, this is something Warren and I talked a day after this final. Japan played Korea. Japan, uh, Fujisawa, of course, uh, ended up beating uh, Ha Sun Yun uh, in the final 8-6. But how many years ago would it have been where in an international competition you see Japan play Korea in the final? That's amazing to me that uh, curling has grown so much uh, in Asia that you have a final in a major event where a Japanese team plays a Korean team. And of course, Kerry Anderson won the uh, won the bronze game over Tabitha Peterson out of the U.S. So, but what I want to talk about with the Pan Continental isn't the A side. I want to talk about the B side because that's what fascinated me, and I, and I really enjoyed watching it. And the men's side is Ghana, Hong Kong, India, Kazakhstan, Kenya, uh, Nigeria, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. Those were the men's teams. Women: Chinese Taipei, Kenya, Mexico, and Nigeria. In the men's semis. Guyana actually knocked out Hong Kong, while India, who are actually quite good, keep an eye on, on, on India, ended up beating Kazakhstan. In the men's final, Guyana, Rad Hussein, beat uh, India 8-5, PN Araju in the final. So congratulations to them, and bronze ended up going to Jason Chang out of Hong Kong. I just, I love to talk about the nations, because this is so different for curling. In the women's semi, Mexico, who are quite strong, ended up beating uh, Kenya 13-1. In the final, Chinese Taipei, uh, Lynn Heidi, actually beat Mexico, Adriana Camarina, 8-7. So congratulations to Chinese Taipei on the B-side. So the winners of the B-side, they'll be moving up into the A. So next Japan Continental, you're going to see teams from the B-side coming up into the A, bottom of the A dropping to the B. That's how it works, and it was wonderful. Yeah, good stuff. Like relegation. I like it. Rele- it's exactly relegation. That's correct. Uh, Warren, you, of course, tuned in. Anything to add? I think maybe I have. This whole system, and I think it's maybe growing pains, but Kevin hit it. I mean, this is the only part of the world that's involved in this thing, and the other half go into the European Championship. But in the top 10 ranks, we had Korea, Canada, Japan, USA. And then the next closest rank was Hong Kong, who, interestingly, is at 18 at the moment. And all the rest were in the 20s and 30s. So you've got these teams in the top 10 ranks going against these lower ranked teams. And of course, there's there's going to be no entertainment value in those games at all. And I'm not sure how much value there is in the teams that are playing those games either. 
I know there's also this issue. I know the WCF is under pressure from some of these smaller countries that they, quote, want to be on television or video stream, whatever. And I guess the whole issue is, again, it's the same thing in Canada with the Briar. You put those games on, and the numbers on them are really, really low. And television, video stream, whatever it is, it's all based on numbers because these are services you've got to pay for. They're very expensive to produce. And so you get caught up in this circle. And the only ones that are going to draw uh, enough numbers to make it worthwhile are going to be the, the, the best teams, which is an ongoing conflict. So as I look at this whole thing, I'm saying, so you got four teams in the top 10 in the Pan-Continental Championship. Maybe the fifth place team, who is going to be going to the Worlds as well, can be challenged by the winner of that B pool or something of that nature so that there's probably a little more entertainment value in some of these games, which I think we always have to be concerned with. Just putting games on television or video stream uh, with low numbers doesn't do anyone any good. So I think the WCF, I think, have this in mind. I think they know where they're going. I think ultimately they will end up in a whirlpool system where you're going to have maybe four pools of 10, and annually two go down, two go up from each pool, and uh, that's what they should be striving for. And I think that's what they have in mind, but it's going to take a while to get there. But to grow the game, Warren, you've got to give them some exposure, don't you? We can look at other sports. And I was thinking here this morning at the Canadian Football League, which we're familiar with. And towards the end of the season, Ebden and Regina were out of the playoffs. In particular, Regina, which fills that stadium normally. The final game of the year they played that meant nothing. I mean, there's, there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, that's the issue. Somebody's got to absorb the cost of doing this video uh, aspect of any of these games and WCF can to some degree but all this stuff has to be also geared towards uh, being financially successful mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what good it does to uh, Afghanistan playing Chinese tape and and uh, where nobody's going to be watching it it's it's not helping the sport it's not helping them so I think it's a, a little bump there but it's something that needs to be considered and I mean Canada's got the same issue I mean if we look at the Briar Scotties these days we, we all know there's 10 teams with with no chance and to be televising games involving two of those no-chance teams, there's going to be no numbers. Uh, nobody's going to be watching it. And, mm-hmm. you know, this goes back to the 80s and Scott Paper and Labatt's. It was a different sponsorship time. It wasn't so much aimed at marketing. It used to be kind of a requirement that uh, both those sponsors wanted each province to be on television once or territory. And, and everybody knowing the numbers were going to be terrible, but it was part of the deal then. They, mm-hmm. they looked at whole things differently then. That's not the way things are anymore. You've got to be able to produce the numbers to just in what we're doing. If we can't produce numbers, we're not going to be out there. Uh, there were a couple more events on this week uh, with the best men's teams in Canada and the world. Kevin, tell us what happened at the New Floors Penticton Classic. Yeah, well, Penticton is uh, is viewed as um, likely the best event in Canada that's not a Grand Slam. It's a really well-run event. Excellent organizing committee. Carrick uh, talks highly about it. I've, I haven't been to it. It didn't start uh, until after I retired. But let's talk about the semis because this is kind of big news. Matt Dunstone beat this this team that are pretty good. They're, they're, it's called Nicodine and oh. Oscar Erickson. <laughs> and they actually, they actually lost out of an event. That has not happened much lately in the semis. So Matt Dunstone won that one. Uh, John Schuster beat uh, Jake uh, Goche out of Manitoba, 8-5. to five. John Schuster, we have not heard anything from John and company for a long time. Right. And uh, they ended up beating Matt Dunstone in the final 7-4. So a huge congratulations to John Schuster. Uh, they haven't been around much. Oh, you know, when it comes to U.S. men, we've been hearing about Corey Dropkin, semifinal at the Slam and then winning 
the uh, the Tier Two Tour Challenge and and playing here at the and the Pan Continental last week. But John Schuster came out and won a huge event. So good on him. Um, I think he must have noticed. I'm sort of being ignored here for U.S. curling. We got this young guy that's winning everything. So right. all of a sudden, here you are. John Schuster wins Penticton. One thing I do want to mention is uh, something that um, Shauna had mentioned to me. I didn't have a chance to watch any of the Penticton event, but she did. Of course, Kark was playing um, when Cooey was on, and, and uh, so she watched a lot. And she thought it was quite really well covered. Um, they had every sheet covered by curling.live mm-hmm. with commentary. And she had mentioned that she was really impressed with it. Warren, did you have a chance to watch any? I, I'm sorry I didn't uh, because I was on air in Calgary. But did you have a chance to watch any of it? What were your thoughts? Because Sean was really impressed. Yeah, I watched a fair amount of it. Yes, they did a pretty good job. I mean, I talked to Rylan Hartley after the event, of course, who was the key factor behind Curling Live. And uh, they had some glitches getting things up and running. But uh, they were able to do four sheets. I think it's at one point in time, I think he said they actually did five. Anyway, they had commentary on, on just about all the sheets. It was people they were able to just pick up from the club. And so it was a varying type of uh, commentary that was happening. But I thought they did a really good job. They're well on their way. I think as time goes on, they're going to be able to provide a great service from all these events that are just below the Grand Slam. How, how many cameras are they using for those streaming games? Like, is it pretty good? Yeah, they've got permanent cameras in the in the club over each house. So it's a matter of uh, getting uh, probably one more camera in each sheet, I would imagine, is what they're doing. Maybe you know better than I do. They do have handhelds as well. But you know what? Let's get, in the next couple of weeks, you guys, uh, let's let's try to get Rylan on and have him explain the whole thing. because We're, we're going to do that. We'll mark that down, everybody. We'll mark it down. Good idea. Rylan Hartley. Warren, Basel, Switzerland, the Swiss Cup. What was going on there and who won? Well, we won't spend a lot of time in this one. I thought we should because uh, some of the best teams in the world on the men's side were playing in this event, and kind of Scotland's number two team, Ross White, came out the winner. Um, He beat Magnus Ramsfell from Norway in the final, so it's another great team from Europe. Interesting enough, in the semifinals, Bruce Mowat was defeated by Ramsfell. And uh, another team that we're probably going to hear some more of as time goes on from Norway, Stefan Wallstad, was also in the in the uh, semis, and the key player in that game, Magnus Nedregotten, we may remember from mixed doubles last year at the Olympics. So four really good European teams were down to the finals uh, aspect of that event, and uh, Scotland's number two team, Ross White, was the winner. Very good. So Mowat, coming back in a little bit, uh, Kevin. So a bunch of events, Kev, so far. Do you think teams are living up to their expectation, who are supposed to win, and what do you think about other teams that maybe aren't doing what they should be doing? Well, let's, yeah, let's, let's start with the, on the women's side. Um, Carrie Anderson, that's a team that did not change and they're doing great. 151 points so far this year. So they've been consistent. Makes sense though. They didn't change anything. Okay. When it comes to uh, Savannah Terenzoni, um, a brand new front end, uh, her and Alina Pets, 198 points this year. So they've won four events already this year with Briar Herleman Schwaller and Kara uh, Holvold. Incredible start with a new team. Unbelievable. Caitlin Laws, we're going to talk lots about Caitlin Laws' team because they, they've been just fantastic. But now Caitlin, she's done for, for a while until she has uh, the little one. Uh, congratulations to them. I think she's, she's due around Christmas sometime. And then Selena, the third, uh, Negevin, is also due. Uh, is spring. So that team is going to have you know lots of things going on this year, but they've been fantastic, that new squad. One team I want to mention... They have had a pretty good year, but it looks a bit awkward to me. And that's the Rachel Holman slash Tracy Fleury team. They're so talented with, with and they got Sarah and Emma up front, tremendous, strong sweepers, really good shooters. It just doesn't seem like a well-oiled machine. 
it, it, it seems like Tracy and, and, and Rachel kind of are having trouble with who's in charge, who's doing what at, at the tee head, because uh, Rachel's throwing the last ones, and, and uh, but Tracy's calling the game. And anyway, but they're doing good, 135 points this year. So it's hard to, hard to argue with that. And a team that's really impressed me that I did not know if they would do okay or not, and that's Jennifer Jones. They've uh, won two events. They've been to two semis, 146 points so far this year. So those are kind of what I thought as far as the women's teams. Men's teams. Got to talk about Brendan Botcher's team. They're at 114 points, which is okay. They started out okay. They uh, they won in Okotoks, and then they got to a semi in the points bet. So this is really early in the year, those two events. They got to the quarterfinals at the Boost National. They went over at the uh, Hearing Life Tour Challenge. They lost out before the quarters in Penticton. Lately, it's just been, it's the, the wheels are wobbling on the golf cart. Hey, well, golf cart. <laughs> anyway, they're <laughs> wobbling on the golf cart a little bit. That's a team we really need to pay attention to because they started out the year pretty darn good, winning in Okotoks and, and doing well at the points bet. But since then, it's just been, uh, the ship's got some leaks in it. So they got to repair that ship a bit. Yannick Schwaller with bringing on uh, Benoit Schwartz out of Switzerland. Uh, very good. 142 points. I think that's a team, Yannick Schwaller, of course, one of the top young people coming up. And with Benoit throwing the last ones, I think that's a team we have to pay attention to. I don't think I have to say much about Matt Dunstone's team. They've been tremendous. They've been second in three events, two others uh, in the semis, 160 points this year. Super strong start. Really exciting to watch the three Tuckers and the one flat foot fella, Ryan. So that's really fun to watch. Brad Gushu bringing on EJ Harnden has not missed a step. They are 172 points, doing great. One team that I think is doing okay is the Kevin Cooey team. I really did not know what to expect with Tyler Tardy being so young and, uh, and, and Kevin going from a team that he had a lot of help <laughs> skipping the last couple of years. He had lots of opinions coming in. And now he's got a team where Tyler's so young, he's not going to say nothing. And you got Brad and Kark who really don't really say much ever. So that's the kind of different. Kevin runs the tee head completely. Um, they've pretty much qualified in everything, I think. A couple of seconds. Uh, semis at the Tour Challenge. So they've had a pretty darn good year. They need to win something, though, to get into the Champions Cup. So that's kind of where where they have to uh, smarten up. Reed Crothers, same thing. It's hard to say that they, they really started the year great. 121 years to date. They won the points bet. So another good team that they, you know, another new team that are doing pretty darn well. But there's a couple of teams that I think are struggling a little. And, and in Kevin Cooey's case, they need to win an event. And Botcher needs to get the uh, the golf cart tires back tight again. When you look at Botcher's team, Kevin, at the beginning of the year, Brendan Botcher, Mark Kennedy, Brett Gallant, Ben Hebert, you're going, these guys are going to wipe the table, man. You bet. They're going to win everything. They're going to win yeah. the first five events easy. But it hasn't been like that. They did come out, you know, we should be fair, they did come out really strong to start. But the last month, hoi, So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get the, the ship righted and, and what's going to happen there. I don't uh, disagree with much of what you've said. I guess there's one women's team we didn't talk about, and that's uh, the Japan team, uh, Fujisawa, who have had a very good year so far, and uh, I think are another team on the women's side that uh, you need to watch out for. They're kind of they're quiet, and they smile a lot, and uh, you turn around, and <laughs> they're on top of the scoreboard, and you're in the bottom. So I think all teams need to have their eyes open with them. I think uh, certainly the Holman flurry team and it's funny i was looking for standings for them a couple of days ago i'm looking home and home and home and and then all of a sudden realized no it's flurry flurry's the yeah. skip <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> there yeah. is no home and so yeah. i think again they've done okay but i, I think they've got some things they've got to iron up between rachel 
and Tracy with regard to their communication. Uh, but I think they're going to be right there uh, at the end, without question, with the other ones you've mentioned. On the men's side, I'm really s- impressed so far with both Dunstan and Crothers. Uh, those teams have both done really well in everything they've gone into. It's going to be really interesting to watch how they do as, as we go down the line. Uh, the Botcher team, again, is the real surprise. There's something going on there. You and I have talked a bit about it, but uh, they need to figure it out. The team we didn't mention that hasn't really done a lot this year either is Hasselborg. And uh, I think in the last slam, they kind of showed a little bit of life there at one point in time. And then they, I think they qualified and then and then lost quickly. But that's another team that hasn't probably quite done as well as uh, we would have expected at this point. You mean if you were the coach of my curling team, I wouldn't be allowed to smile? There's no smiling allowed? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you smile too much, Jim, that doesn't mean you're serious. Okay. Anyway, here comes Hanson. Everyone, get, get rid of that grin. Okay. So drop it right now. Uh, that's funny. Fujisawa's team, they never stop smiling. There's, they could be down three on the scoreboard. It doesn't matter. They're still smiling. Yeah, you wouldn't know it. Um, Jim, you have to have a game face. <laughs> all right, game face. I'm going to try my game face. Yeah. All right. There it is. Warren, there was a new member that joined the World Curling Federation. It makes for, the, I think, the 70th member. Who was it? Well, we won't keep you in suspense anymore. It was Poland, which uh, was kind of interesting. I thought Poland had been in for quite some time, but they haven't. So they're nation number 70, which is pretty remarkable. I think mm-hmm. on uh, the show last week, we talked a bit about uh, when we were trying to get curling into the Olympics back in the late 80s, early 90s, and we had to scramble to get, uh, I think it was another six countries as members of the World Federation to be eligible to get uh, medal status, to take it up to 25. So that was in 1992, there was 25 nations, and now there's 70. So I think it's remarkable that it's moving along. Uh, I think it's uh, also to note, in some of these countries, and particularly ones on this side of the uh, Atlantic, players that are playing, like in the Pan-Continental Cup, they're actually living in Canada, a lot of them. I think the Brazilian ones are here. Mm-hmm. Um, one other country, I believe, I think Hong Kong, those women were all... all Hong over. Kong ladies, yes, out of the Rideau Club in Ottawa. Right, yep. so... Many of them are living in Canada, so hopefully that's going to be able to give some ignition in, in, into the countries they come from. But I think it's it's great that the World Federation is at 70. It also, I think, puts more emphasis on them that they're going to have to work towards a new playoff system so they somehow can start to work all 70 of those countries into what they're doing. But great news for the sport. Thank you very much to Sports Interaction, who brings you what's happening around the curling world. We do it each and every week, of course, to bring you up to date on all events that are happening, not just here in Canada, but everywhere else. Next, Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. So the big announcement came out of Curling Canada this past week that the 2023 Briar and Scotties will each be made up of 18 teams. I'm guessing that might be the highest ever. Warren, go easy on them now. Go easy on them. What, what, what are your thoughts? Well, actually, Jim, the last two years with COVID, they went up to 18. But sort of the history of this uh, numbers thing goes back to 2014, which that's the last time we actually had a Scotties. I guess the Scotties then had Team Canada, but a Briar that uh, did uh, have the 14 Provincial Territory champions in it. And then we went to uh, 15 in 2015. And, and from there, it was 16. And then with COVID, it was 18. And so there was some, some question as to what was going to happen this year with, uh, with Curling Canada and their decisions to, uh, to look towards the future. So they s- decided on 18. 
I think that's a step in the right direction because the 14 provinces and territories will be represented, as will Team Canada. But the last three teams, 16, 17, 18, are going to be the three highest ranks who have not made it into the Briar and Scotties, which I think is the is the move in the right direction versus this wild card game they were playing to put one team in, etc. So I think the fact that they're moving that way is good. Uh, maybe 20 teams might be the ultimate an- answer where you get... Uh, the top five ranks are going to be there without question, no matter what happens at the provincial territorial level. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, getting these uh, these three teams in that are going to be there on rank is uh, is the start of taking things, I think, where it needs to go. And uh, hopefully they can increase it. I think the other thing they need to look at, those teams that come in as a rank, I don't think there should be a necessity for them to be, all be, quote, from the same province or territory, which is question mark to start with, as we as we well know. And if you choose to go that way, you should have that option, I do believe, and maybe they will get there as they start moving forward. I think the other thing they need to do is take this wild card designation away that's been around there for the last couple of years. I, I think it's uh, it's not clear as to what does it mean, who are they. we got wild card one, two, and three. You're not going to put wild card on the Briar Tankard if they win it. So I think mm-hmm. where there's more than one representative from a province, as long as they're into this provincial territorial thing, it should be Alberta 1, Alberta 2, Alberta 3. And so that the teams have the provincial designation on them and they're just numbered. And I, I think those are a couple of, of simple things that might be able to be done. But the other interesting thing that came out of that announcement, they did hire an independent uh, third party to do a study with a bunch of the numbers of top teams and ask a lot of the questions with regard to how do you think the Briar and Scotty should be running uh, Al Cameron from Curling Canada tells me they are going to make that uh, report the results of it or some of it available to the public in the next couple of weeks. So that'll also be interesting to see. How many teams is the right amount? You know, that's the, I guess it's up to the team, the uh, the group that runs the event as to what they think. For a Canadian championship team, though, we need to have our top teams in the event battling it out to who wins Canada. That just has to be. And uh, so if it has to be, 18 teams, and then you can bring in three of the top ranked, great. If it's 20 and you bring in five, probably better, just to make sure we have the top teams in, in every national championship. That's what's, that's what's crucial. One thing that I guess is right away in my mind that I have trouble with is how do you distinguish, if you've got Alberta 1, Alberta 2, Alberta 3, or in, in Manitoba ladies, Manitoba 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, because they're so strong, how do you ever get uniforms that have the provincial colors that don't all look the same? So when you have in the semifinals or the finals, the two, because they're so good. I'm not like, it's not really a funny story here. It's true. Like right away, my brain goes there and you, you've got basically the same colored uniforms because they're from that province and a province has colors. How do you have five uniforms that don't all look same ish so that when you play on TV in the end, do you have home and away? I suppose every every team has two uniforms, like one whites and darks. And I, I don't know the answer to it. I just know that's a major problem. Um, it's something that we need to address sport wide, not just on the amateur side going to worlds, but also on the tour side and the Grand Slam side, so that teams come out and they don't have the same uniforms on. So this is something we need to look at. Mm-hmm. And I can see that happening when you're bringing in the top teams, which I agree, Warren is great. But if a lot of them are going to be from the same province and women's are saying men's different way, I just see it being, oh boy, <laughs> it could be a problem. Yeah, it, it, it's confusion. And particularly on the men's and women's side right now, I mean, mostly top teams are from Alberta and Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a few exceptions, that's that's where they're from. So 
I guess that's again the whole system is is broken, and what seems to be happening ongoing is they keep putting band aids on it. I mean, the other issue that uh, when I asked Carrie about when we talked to her, but we know from the players we've talked to that the time between the Brian Scotties and the World Championships is too tight, and the, and the players pretty much without exception uh, suggest that. So if you're going to take the winner of the Scotties and the Briar, it's going to continue to be too tight. So. There's a lot of things that, that still need to be dealt with in a big room discussion without question. I've never cheered for a province when I'm watching a sport. You know what I mean? Well, because curling's no, the only one. Yeah, there's no opportunity except curling uh, to, to probably do that. But you're still going to cheer for, if you're a Jennifer Jones fan, you're cheering for Jennifer Jones's team, I think. Yeah, uh, maybe, no maybe matter I'm where wrong. they live or where she's from. Yeah. yeah. We'll True. probably get a few emails about that. Let us know your thoughts. We've never talked about that, whether they should have provinces represented. In well, we have. I mean, that's that's the issue that goes back to square one. I, probably I, I opened that can of worms uh, probably 12 years ago saying the system the way it is isn't working anymore. It was right. great for 50, 60 years, but progress has taken place in the way the Olympics and the Grand Slam has changed everything. We no longer are dealing with provincial representation really to develop the best teams in the country anyway we'll talk more about it uh thanks a lot to coyote tractor for bringing you hot rock topics uh each and every week we read an email uh it's it's we pull it out of the mailbag and this is brought to you by nestle boost complete nutrition to fuel your day thanks a lot to nestle boost for bringing you the mailbag segment we received a fairly lengthy email from Fiona Gregory, and we're going to deal with part of it on today's show, and then maybe we'll look at the, the rest of it on other shows. When I watch curling on TV, I know what's going on. Draw to the button results, team standings, etc. At the arena, I have no idea what's going on. I've got, to, I've got to Google it. Maybe that's why not many people seem to show up at the arena anymore. No information? Question mark, Kev, she's saying, is that, is that what the issue is? By the way... Jim, you're awesome. The other guys are all right. Okay. P.S. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you make the show, Jim. Yeah, right. Uh, you guys are all awesome. Love your interviews. Thank you. That's from Fiona Gregory. So uh, why don't you go first, Warren, on this? Oh, she makes an excellent point. And this is with the sport overall right now, we simply do not provide enough information about what's going on. And I think everybody's guilty of it. I know it, just in what we're doing, sometimes when there's an event on, I'm scrambling, what's the playoff system they're using? How are they qualifying the team? You know, because it's just, it's just not there. And I think there's a whole pile of information on every event that first of all needs to be made clearly on the websites of these events, which today nobody's doing it uh and i think data uh, across mm-hmm. the board with the sport of curling as far as what's being gathered and what's being made public is is very slim and even sitting at home uh you're still going to have to do a lot of scrambling to find out a lot about it and the thing in the building you're getting virtually nothing and i think compared to other sports this is something we've got to do i mean just like when the building at least if nothing you got to have screens in three or four places that show you the standings that show you the playoff system shows you how mm-hmm. things are happening how they're working and again i go back to my point that i had 10 years ago develop an app so that once you're in the building all this information can be flipped onto the app and maybe again because a lot of our fans are older you've got to go two ways you've got to have the screens in the building and the app but uh i think she hits dead on here as far as something that we aren't doing very well, I don't think. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Well, definitely when it comes to the uh, draw to the button distance in most events is crucial now. Got a game and there's going to be two or three people tied. Happens all the time in all the games, all the events across the world. The fans in the stands need to have that right in front of them, that Jennifer Jones's team is at 
111.1 so far this event. And Sylvana Terranzoni's team is 109.2. So they need to watch that draw the button because within two centimeters flips it. And who it gets the bot, who's in and who's going to maybe be out, who's in a tie break, who's whatever, whatever, because the draw the button is so important. And that has to be readily available. But you're right, Warren. There are all kinds of things that go on at events from fun events to things in the social house to all these types of things. That yep. can be part of the app where you're telling people at five o'clock, uh, actually Brad Goosh is going to sit down with Pete Stetsky on stage. They're going to, they're going to have a chat about something. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. All right. That'd be awesome. But you need to get all that information out. And that's sort of this type of thing that I think curling needs in house. Um, you're right. And even for us on the, in the broadcast before the draw starts, sometimes it's hard to find the information of the draw totals because it's absolutely crucial as to, who wins and who loses, what the draw totals are. That's kind of the big thing right now because uh, sometimes you can lose out of any event with the same record yep. just because you had a worse draw of the button. And that has to be totally known by, by all people across the country. Everybody has to know that. Otherwise, how did the team lose out? They had the same record as such and such. Well, it's the draw of the button. Well, how do I find that? So these are all important things. Kevin, I'll tell you something, and I'm not kidding when I say this. Uh, every year I watch, uh, I'm a big fan of snooker, the old the old 12-foot by 6-foot pool game, and I watch it from Europe. It comes from the same place every year in Sheffield, England. It's So it's at the Crucible Theater. And what they do is, so all the fans who are in the stands, is they, get a, they, they receive a headset when they walk in, and everyone is wearing a headset, and they're hearing the commentators in their headset. So who's, the guys who are commentating the game on television, everyone in the arena gets to hear them. And uh, I, th- I always thought that was a brilliant idea, you know, so they can refer to the screen. And, and uh, I just thought that's a fantastic idea. And that would solve a lot of that problem. We've had radios in, uh, in a number of the events uh, in the past where there's a frequency that you can go to and you can pick up all the uh, commentators' comments in the building, which uh, I think, again, that helps. But again... With something like an app, and I mean, this was discussions I had 12 years ago, why don't we put RF mics on all four sheets of ice, and when you're in the building with the app, you can listen to the mics on whichever sheet you wish to listen to. Just a simple thing right there of, this is how you're going to attract people to come to the building versus sitting at home and watching it on television or streaming it, Right, is you can't listen to all four sheets. So there's all kinds of things that we could do going forward with technology to make it more desirable for people to be in the building than sitting at home and watching it on their television. Of course, the unique problem, Kevin, is think of it if you're watching hockey. If it's going to be like curling, there's going to be, you're going to go to an arena where there's four sheets of ice and there's four different hockey games going on, mm-hmm. you know, in, in front of one crowd. So weird. Anyway. Kind of like going to a golf course, though, where you go to a tournament and you can watch, like if you're sitting at, uh, I guess, on, yeah. along at uh, the yeah. top of the stands on 15 at Augusta, you can watch people coming down 15, you can watch all of 16, yeah. and you can also watch the tee-off shots on 17, <laughs> all from one mm-hmm. seat. So it's pretty right. cool. That sort of equates to me. You can sit there, and if you want to watch Brad Gushu against Kevin Kuh, you want to just really watch that game, you can. But if you also want to watch Jennifer Jones against Savannah Terranzoni, well, gee, you can kind of, kind of keep an eye on both. But you're right, Jimmy. Your eyes go crazy if you try to watch all four games all the time. But, but again, this is, a, this is a, again, this big room discussion. This needs to be done by Curling Canada, Grand Slam, World Curling, probably USA Curling, all together and working on this stuff together so that we are all doing things that's going to move the game forward in a unified way. And so that you're not getting something in one event that you're not in the other. And... Uh, 
there's so many things that could be done, but they need to start talking about it. Fiona Gregory, thanks a lot for your email. You know, if you email us and we read your email on air, you get absolutely nothing, okay? <laughs> and Fiona, congratulations. You get nothing, but we read your email and we, uh, you've, you've, you've got a lot uh, more thoughts on, on many things and we may read some more of that next week. You can email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Well, Jimmy, maybe it's time that we actually started to uh, to get some inside uh, curling stuff and, and give something to uh, people like Fiona who send us emails. What do you think about that? No. <laughs> no, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> I tried. I tried, Warren. I don't, I don't like it. Well, well, the, 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 the first thing we got to get is a shirt for Jim that doesn't have paint on it. <laughs> I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm painting, Warren. Look, I'm, oh, no, hang on. Okay, we got to baby steps. Yeah. See, look at it. It's, it's you know, it's it's fashionable, Warren. Yeah, I, I figured out that uh, although I made a good camera stand, that all I'm doing is looking down at my computer. Good boy, Joy. Jeez, Jim, that's podcast genius. There, I can see everyone riveting stuff for the good listener. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oh yeah, we, we've got a guest, but uh, I really wish we would have started recording, uh, I don't know, about 90 seconds ago. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> One day, we'll do a blooper show. Uh, and so, uh, as we carry on, as we carry on, uh, speaking of Carrie, see that? See the little pun? It's our guest, knock, 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 knock. You've been here before. You've been here before. Come on in, Carrie. You know your way around. Grab a beer out of the fridge and have a seat. It's Carrie Anderson. Congratulations, uh, Carrie, on your massive career. It's great. It's great to have you back on. I'm, I'm guessing you're probably just sit around and go, Okay, when's the Scotties? We'll just knock one of those off again. Uh, Three-time three champion in a row, back to back to back. Uh, Grand Slam is underway. Uh, I guess your was your last victory, the, uh, I want to say Champions Cup, twenty in back in May? Did you knock something out again? Yeah, back in uh, May, we uh, won the Champions Cup, and um, we just recently won the bronze. At the of course, Olympics. yeah, of course, we're going to talk to you about that for sure. So um, every yes. time, like I was saying earlier, every time we talk to you, you're in a kind of a different town all the time. You know, we, we, knew, we knew it was Manitoba. Then everyone goes, anyone from Manitoba, they just think they live in Winnipeg. And then you're, we're in Gimli. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm all over the yeah. place. Um, but my, I actually live in Camp Morton, so which is like five minutes north of Gimli. Okay, there we go. 
Well, we're glad you joined us and uh, talk about your team. Are you you're happy with everything? What are you working on? What don't you need to work on? Uh, talk about the year ahead. It's uh, been unbelievable so far. Um, we've had a really great start to our season. Mm-hmm. Our first event was at the points bet um, and we lost the semis there. Our last two slams we've played in, we've made both finals. So um, we hopefully can finish it off one of these days. Right. <laughs> but we, yeah, we came out of just a little flat in those finals. But um, getting there is a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you sort of do each? What have you guys done in the off season? If there is much of an off season, uh, how did you spend time with your team when you weren't curling? Or did you? We didn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> we we spent enough time together. <laughs> no, we spent some time together. I was actually um, Brianne's wedding this summer, so we got together for that, and uh, we also did a training weekend um, as well. So, uh, but we uh, lauded in the gym uh, with our trainers and uh, doing that type of thing. Right, good for you. Obviously, I want to talk about the Pan-Continental because that was really fascinating. I'd like to hear your thoughts of, first of all, just being part of such an event. It was not, in my opinion, not very normal. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on having the A side, the B side, teams that normally you would never play against. And your thoughts on playing those teams that aren't really curling nations. I actually love the event. I know there was like a lot of blowout games, but it was a pretty special event um, for a lot of those countries and even for us because we don't get to play the majority of those countries. So they were just on our team and just be able to meet us and play against us too. So um, I felt really grateful for that opportunity. And um, afterwards, I basically gave away all my jerseys. (laughs) Everyone kept asking me for them. And I was like, whoa. I'm not used to this. (laughs) And uh, we were playing Brazil and oh my gosh, they are so sweet. And uh, they were cheering for us to make our shots. And I was like, I ain't used to this (laughs) either. (laughs) Um, And they're like, oh, that one was so close. And then I just, I burst out laughing. I was like, I'm not used to like the opponent being so nice to me. (laughs) Canadians are, you know what? Yeah, they're tough. Canadians are tough. (laughs) But um, it was uh, it was a pretty special event, and I thought it went uh, well. And uh, hopefully, in the future, we can put some more fans in the stands. Did you have an opportunity to go over to now? Uh, just so everybody knows at the Pan Continental, there was the A side arena, and then just next door at Windsport, there's another whole arena, and that's where the B side was. Did you have the opportunity to go from the A side and, and catch some of the action on the B side? Oh my God, did we ever. And it was amazing. Like even like the energy that they bring and um, the positive uh, vibe and we would cheer for the shots that were made and uh, they all looked up at us and they, all the countries they are like, whoa, Team Canada's here watching. They were very excited to see us there watching them. And um, just, yeah, like some of the wording that they use and like when they're, their lingo and, Oh, it was, it was so much fun to watch. And I'm so glad that we went over to see that. I have, I have managed to get over there for a couple of minutes too. And I, I'm the same as you is the energy was incredible. The one team I forget, I forget the, um, the, which team it was, but the guys coming out of the hack and just, he was coming out with a hard takeout and ended up piling up and uh, though the rock goes flying, it's fine. Like we've all done it. Warren, go ahead. Okay, thanks for uh, coming on today, Carrie, and congratulations on your successes so far this year. 
Just checking checking the world rankings today, and uh, you are number one in the world at the moment uh, in some very respectable nice. company. Behind you, mm-hmm. we had Anna Hasselberg as number two, Terenzoni number three, Fujisawa number four, and next Canadian team is Caitlin Laws at number five. So you guys are doing really well. Watched you play quite a bit this year. You seem to go along and play play really, really well. Uh, okay, with standing shots, and then all of a sudden, either you or Val seem to have a hiccup. So what what's the hiccups <laughs> all about? What are those coming from? This guy's tough, Carrie. This guy is tough, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, forget those three championships, okay? <laughs> well, no, I'm serious. I mean, it, they're, yeah. they're playing, yeah, they're playing well. outstanding, but it, seemingly there seems to be something just kind of goes sideways every once in a while. So, I mean, what's happening? Well, thanks, Warren. Yeah. That's, that's very lovely of you. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, it's a team game. And sometimes, like, if it's just you're on the wrong side of the inch of things. So, um, one of these days we'll just be consistent right throughout, but um, it, it happens and um, I'm not overly worried about it. It's just the way that curling goes sometimes and maybe just lose a little bit of focus. The ice kind of changes a little bit with just one sheep being out there. And there's a lot of factors into it. It's not that we're throwing them badly. <laughs> it's just maybe uh, missing the odd shot here and there. So you've got Reed Crothers as, as your coach and he's also, of course, playing on the tour which uh, must be pretty demanding for him in all all instances. But uh, what does Reed bring to your team that's uh, maybe new and interesting? Oh, he brings so much to our team. Like, uh, he's always making us smile and laugh and uh, his energy and uh, his positivity and a lot of it and his strategy. There's so much things that he uh, comes up with that we can work on and uh, become better and better um, all the time. So he's definitely a great addition to our team, and um, we love having him. So let's go over and uh, look at the Scotties for a moment. You're Team Canada this year, so you already know you're there. Announcement last week that the Scotties will be 18 teams this year, again, as it was last year. And rather than having, I guess, the wildcard teams determined at the last minute. They pretty much have determined it'll be the top three ranks that aren't in the event already. What do you think of this whole idea? Do you like 18 teams? Would you like to see fewer? Would you like to see more? What are your thoughts? Well, it's definitely nice like to have those extra teams. I know our goal is to send the best team to Worlds. But I do miss the old traditional way as well, playing all the provinces. But... um Definitely, like for right now, we're Team Canada, so we haven't had to uh, play in our playdowns for the last few years. Um, so it's definitely um, it, it makes it um, extremely difficult to represent Canada again, and I think that's the goal in it as well. So, well, I just want to ask you one thing, and this is a because I, I get to watch a lot of your curling games and call a lot of them on Sportsnet with the slams, and. Kind of like Esther Neuenschwander, who really became the top of the women, in my opinion, the, the top second in the game. Shannon's going to be like that. Now, she's always been good, but I don't think she's been the kind of good she is now. Like, she's sort of a person that's kind of leading, the, in my opinion, from, from second position, playing really high percentage. Um, I'd kind of like to know what, what she, I guess, what she's been doing um, as far as with maybe Reed or maybe on her own, whatever the case may be, to escalate her game in kind of a short time at second. It hasn't been that long that she's been playing at that mm-hmm. position, but she's kind of owning it. Um, I just kind of like to know how and what, what's going on. 
Yeah, Shannon is an outstanding player, and um, I've always known that. I've played against her for many years, even though she's quite a bit younger than me. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, she just uh, puts in a lot of work, and we kind of sw- changed, uh, softened her release a little bit to be closer to mine. Um, I know she has things that she does with her release, but it's a little different. But she's very consistent with it and does it all the time. So um, we've actually kind of synced up our rocks a little bit closer to each other. Yeah, I've had a couple of people ask me about, it's kind of a funky release, but if mm-hmm. you pay, just to pay attention, if you get it right behind the line, the handle moves counterclockwise way or clockwise way, but the middle of the stone doesn't deviate off the line much. I imagine you guys have done some work with, with a, uh, a laser especially with her because you think she has to pull it offline a bit, but I don't actually see that occurring. But is there something that you're talking about a little less aggressive release? What do you, what do you mean by that? What are you trying to accomplish? Exactly. We just found that our paths were a little different that she was maybe sliding just that hair fuller than mine was. And um, so we kind of got that a little closer and, um, um, not as much as a pop on a release. So I know because I was throwing them a little softer or like and not tracking in the same pass as the other girls. So we definitely uh, worked very hard to get that closer this season. And I think we've done a, a pretty good job of that. With having a southpaw on the team, with having Vel on there as a lefty, mm-hmm. we actually talked about it on air. Um, the amount of rotation Vel puts on, especially with her intern, so it tracks a lot like a righty out turn. Is there any concern with at the start, like where you guys are starting the stones so that the tangents are somewhat equal? Or are you more dealing with it on the way out? More dealing with it on the way out. We all know that there, our paths won't be the same as Val's. Um, we try and get them close, but they're not going to be perfect. But um, I know what that looks like and how to ice her and... Um, so as long as it's everyone's just being consistent, um, it definitely makes my job uh, easier to put the broom in the right spot. Don't ever use the word tangent again, Kevin. It reminds me of how badly I failed algebra when I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I was a terrible student. Were you any good in high school, Carrie? Were you smart? No. Oh. <laughs> you and Jim have lots in common. I, I think all four of us here, yeah. I got a feeling Kevin wasn't either. Um, you know, you, you, you lit up like a tree when Kevin brought up the tier two at the Pancontinental Championship, um, and and that was really cool when you did that a few minutes ago, and you went to watch these teams. Uh, you know, curling is sort of seems to be in constant flux all the time. With more of these teams coming in, Poland was announced this week that they've joined the WCF. I never thought I would uh, hear the day that India, you know, is is going to be a, a curler. I, I suspect these a curling nation. I suspect these teams would want to get in your head carry and get some help from you and if you did speak to them this might sound pretty stupid because you've won three titles in a row three national championships but would you change anything in your young curling career that you would look at to help these other teams that are coming up I would definitely work on the draw game early I worked extremely hard after juniors because everyone knew knew me as a hitter Mm -hmm. um now I have really uh uh, grown to um, work on my touch game and I think a lot of juniors should focus more on that than throwing the high hard one all the time because uh, if uh, your skip can't uh, always draw to the button then it's uh, it's going to be tough to win some of those games so um, mm-hmm. and I know in juniors I missed a lot of those big shots um, 
but I made a lot of those big high hard ones. So mm -hmm. uh, I would definitely uh, work more on that uh, part of the game. Is there something you do at practice where when you're done the practice and you've had a practice that you think has been great for your soft game, what makes you feel that? Like what, what part of that practice where you go, I did this. Is there a this in your practice where you go off the ice and go, Jesus, that was good. Or I struggled today. Well, after I usually end my practice with um, biting the button every single time on my throws, I will throw um, eight stones back and all of them have to be biting the button or in the forefoot. And if it's not, then I just keep going until it is. So um, that's just kind of something that I work on and add to my practice. And um, even like working on those chasers as well to the button, I play a lot of those. So making sure if you just see a tiny piece of it, that you can still chase it and uh, not being afraid, uh, afraid of those guards up front, because a lot of people get thrown from those. So definitely uh, try and just keep that out of my vision and just focus on uh, making that back weight shot. I want to go back in and ask you another question about Scotty's whirls. We've uh, asked this question to a few other people and we get some interesting answers. Do you feel as things sit today that there's enough time between winning the Scotties and the women's worlds to become fully prepared for it? Um, it's definitely a bit of a rush. It's tough to, um, like, I believe it's like two weeks in between. So, <laughs> um, Canada has to peak so many different times. You peak at Scotties, you're on a high, you never ever get to come off of that. <laughs> you go, you train right away for two weeks and then you're off again. So it's just, um, um, it's a very quick turnaround. Um, so if we maybe had a little bit of time, I don't know how and, uh, what the answer is for that though. <laughs> Yeah, I think as time goes on and as the world gets uh, tighter and tighter, I think Canada is going to have to do some things a little differently to ensure that uh, our teams going there are going to have the best best opportunity. But it's uh, we're getting different answers from a lot of people uh, do have that concern. Uh, the Women's Worlds this year in Sweden. So, so you finish on the Sunday and the world starts on probably Sunday or Saturday. You'd probably have practice time. So when would you arrive? How many days prior it was in Sweden let's let's back it up so okay let's start the saturday of the world is your practice so when would you fly into sweden like a week early <laughs> right okay so, so you know late in, like okay. at least five days earlier so then you can adjust to the time and get in some practice as well and so i know we haven't actually like looked into that but you we would definitely leave uh quite a few days earlier so we can fully adjust uh carrie earlier in the show uh we Went to our two pundits, okay, the, the, the great Warren Hanson and the great Kevin Martin. Oh, I thought that uh, was the reason I'm asking more questions, Carrie, is I'm afraid Warren's going to say, well, you guys are shit. You better fix your game up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I love you, Carrie. I think you guys are terrific. Um, what, one of the, the, guys, uh, the guys broke down sort of how, how teams are doing so far in the year, uh, and, and we get a lot of people wanting that commentary from Kevin and Warren uh, about these teams. And and I guess the one that sticks out the most is on the men's side in Brendan Botcher. Hasselborg may be a bit of a surprise, but this team, when, when people hear the names of Brendan Botcher and Mark Kennedy and Brett Gallant and Ben Hebert, and uh, boy, are they ever not doing what everyone expects them to do. Certainly, we would never hope that happens to you, but but if that was you and your team, what should they do now to try and regroup and with such high expectations? 
Well, they're all great shooters and, um, they, they know what it takes and what they need from each other. So just to kind of work on that a bit, um, I know they will be good. Um, they, <laughs> they won a ton of stuff individually, um, and they're very smart about the game. So uh, I know that they can figure it out. So you dipped your toe in the mixed doubles world here a couple of years ago and became the Canadian champs along with Brad Gushu. Are you looking at playing mixed doubles some more or where's that sit in your books? Yeah, I've actually been playing uh, mixed doubles with Brad Jacobs. And uh, him and I played our first event together uh, back in early October. And it, it was good. He That was his very first time out on the ice and ever playing mixed doubles. Uh, it was pretty funny. We were sweeping and he was like, oh, this judging business is tough. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. And then I would follow him down the ice and help him judge. And he was like, oh, I like that so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh, he's been a lot of fun, and uh, we are playing our next event actually next weekend uh, in Le Duke. So uh, and he play, played this past weekend with uh, Rachel Homan. So um, he's definitely enjoying it and uh, still keeping his toes in the the game. Yeah, he was supposed to take the year off. So I assume you guys are going to to go into the Canadian Championship. Is that the plan? And and into the quad, maybe Olympics. Yeah, that's the plan, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Kevin's away. I'm. Uh, it's f- fully under snow here in Edmonton. What's it, what's it like where you are? Is there snow on the ground? Wow, it's finally not winter peg. We have zero snow, which is very surprising. <laughs> good. So you go, it's uh, it's been good. It's uh, currently hunting season right now. So uh, my husband and I have been out hunting and taking the girls. So <laughs> you're not <laughs> a hunter. I are am. You? Yeah. <laughs> What are you hunting? Birds? Big game? What's going on? <laughs> Big game. Uh, hunting deer right now. Carrie, I am I am very surprised. Wow. <laughs> yeah. a, awesome. uh, yeah. Carrie, this was great. Uh, congratulations again. You're a, you're a superstar guest for us to have in the program. It means a lot that you took the time to do it. And good luck the rest of the year, and we'll talk to you down the road. Warren, be nicer next time, would you? <laughs> Otherwise, you'll never come back on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. See you, Carrie. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. Good luck. Bye. Bye.